Hey, all you ride or dies. Um, we know you guys have been wanting a nutritionist to come on the pod. So this episode is dedicated to that. We are so excited and we hope that a lot of your questions get answered in this episode. I know I learned a lot. As soon as I got off the pod, I went and called Cole and I was like, Kate, we got to do this and this and this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 This one's good for like a really solid, getting a solid foundation Mm -hmm. for your horse and yeah, knowing what to start with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I think we'll get a little more specific next time into Mm -hmm. barrel horses or maybe brood mares and Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah, just the basic uh, nutritional requirements and what all those Mm -hmm. micro macro nutrients and minerals actually are. And, uh, yeah. How to incorporate them into your diet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your horse's diet. Yeah. <laughs> into your diet. Probably should be incorporating most of those I into know. our own diet. Too. I was just like, oh my gosh, what could I eat now to, to make myself feel better? <laughs> yeah. Like guys, seriously, we focus so much on exactly what our horses need. It's ridiculous. And like, I mean, I do it with my dogs too, but for me, I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this. I, <laughs> could you imagine if somebody was just like fed us like portions, like our horses were like, we'd all I be know. so fit That's what and I living said. long lives. You know, we get spirulina and minerals. Like I don't get none of that, but my horse does, which is just like actually blows my mind. Like, yeah. why do we care? I mean, I know we want to be competitive, I guess, but like, why wouldn't we be doing a little bit more for ourselves too? Yeah, I let's think get us, a human yeah. nutritionist on here next. I, th- I think us horse people are a totally different breed though. Like it's so <laughs> funny because when I go see my mom, she's just always like, oh, I want you to have the best of the best. And I'm like, wow, it's like you're talking to me how I talk to my horse. Yeah, like, <laughs> right? Uh, my mom yeah. does that too, yeah. like with me. Like she's you like, need nicer <laughs> luggage. Here's a bag. And it's like, why? I, I don't. Like I, with that nice bag could have been a horse blanket. Like exactly. that's just how I think. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and I actually do have a confession. I did lie on the podcast um, <laughs> when I said like, oh, yeah, like I take my vitamin D and calcium. I don't take those pills. Like I need to because I really do not want to have another kidney stone again. But when I said I do that, I just kind of wanted to sound professional. But I, I do not. I forget all the time. But you got to get on that, Nadine. I know. I know. You don't want to be in the room with me when I had a kidney stone. Mm-hmm. I kicked the doctor in the face the yeah. first time. Oh, no. Oh, my God. I believe it. Yeah, they're painful. But, yeah, no. So that's a little – maybe tidbit of like what what we an an area that we covered there was really cool information about vitamins Mm -hmm. like I didn't even think of like you know about vitamin k like I don't even know what that is Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't I think we just like you know grab a bag from your local feed store and dump a bale in there expensive and (laughs) yeah like (laughs) like to actually be get like knowing what your horse is getting like you have to sit down with a pen and paper and calculator and even overfeeding like yeah oh yeah you don't even realize like your horse doesn't actually need all this or like calculate it it. don't just be like look at these percentages you might be peeing out that 10 Mm. 30 percent protein and dollar signs right out the back so yeah yeah. seriously like it actually kind of gave me anxiety it's like i need to do more like i'm not (laughs) doing this right i (laughs) i don't know what i'm doing Uh, i think we're probably like getting everyone really excited for this episode so maybe we should let them listen to what yeah, she maybe a doctorate of um of medicine yeah. and of horse yeah and like equi- equine nutrition and a prof at the <laughs> university she will have all of her all of her accomplishments yeah. coming up but holy man and you know actually that is one of the coolest things about this episode is her actually being a professor mm-hmm. at a university and her teaching skills like she goes and such a beautiful flow from like you know starting yeah. off with um with one thing and then leading off into another and it's not like it gets the only reason if unless we, if we anything got tra- yeah. i was just gonna say the only way it got trailed off was if we asked a we, question on a left field went on a rabbit trail <laughs> we did but 
We hope you guys enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then we want to hear th- your thoughts and then hopefully uh, get her on for another mm-hmm. episode. And even like if you've been searching and Googling nutrition stuff for yourself, most of those articles you've read are probably written by her. So, yeah, yeah. like uh, the horse. The she horse. Wrote, writes a lot of articles horse for the Canada. horse. And horse Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pay attention to that. Yes. <laughs> she is very, very informed and we are honored to have her on. Dr. Shannon Phillips hails from Toronto, Canada. Her love of horses and science led her to study equine nutrition and exercise physiology for both Master of Science from the University of Kentucky and her Doctor of Philosophy from the University of Guelph. Dr. Phillips is currently a professor of equine nutrition in the Department of Animal Science at North Carolina State University. Please enjoy the rest of this episode with her. Hi, Dr. Phillips. How are you? Hi there. How are you? I'm great. Good. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing good. Uh, What's it like where you're at right now? Uh, So I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the weather is a little cooler today, but it's sunny and nice out. And even though we are under lockdown, we are still currently allowed to go ride our horses. So that is keeping everything sort of sane. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of how we are too. Like there's not a whole lot going on, but at least we can kind of jump on our horses and do some Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Still social distance. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so have horses always been a part of your life growing up? Uh, yeah. So I started riding when I was about nine and, you know, got the bug very quickly and continued uh, to ride and then get more and more competitive doing the hunter stuff um, throughout high school and university. Um, and then I kind of took a break in terms of, you know, riding and stuff like that until about um, maybe four years ago when my daughter wasn't of an age to kind of get into it. So I sort of started my re-riding program then and she's still riding. And so now I've got my third horse and um, we're having fun. I'd be back out there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's nice. And you get to do it together now too. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you guys do a, a certain discipline? Yeah, we do hunters. Oh, okay. I'm doing the, the low adult this year. And I mean, if we get a show season, everything's canceled. But yeah, uh, we'll move into the adults either later in the season or into next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My horse is uh, nine and still a little green at some things. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm moving up there. Yeah. So am I. So how did you get into equine nutrition? Can you take us through the timeline of your education? Yeah, um, for sure. So when I was in high school, I was riding and spending a lot of time at the barn. Uh, It was pretty clear that I was never going to be a professional rider. And I didn't think I wanted that anyway. Um, I, I always excelled in math and sciences. So I kind of figured... I would do something along those lines. Um, But when I was in high school, it was also at the time when the Toronto Blue Jays were doing really well. And (laughs) I had this notion that I wanted to be a sports psychologist for the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, that's cool. And so I actually went to 
uh, the University of Guelph, um, starting out in um, with the biological science, but with psychology as my focus. And I, I kind of chose Guelph um, because it did actually have uh, sports psychology, but it also had uh, the vet school and the ag school. And I kind of thought that that would be, you know, if I don't like the psychology, then I can sort of be the backup there. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, after my first psychology class, I decided I didn't like it at all. (laughs) And probably around the same time, I had met the Purina dealer for uh, the farm where I kept my horse. And I kind of thought, oh, that sounds really cool to do horse nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so sure enough, I looked it up and I could study that at Guelph. So that was easy. And I switched programs and I studied, uh, actually studied nutrition. uh, But because of the ag program and the animal science department, I was able to take a lot of animal science and animal nutrition classes. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even though my undergrad was actually nutritional science, I had a pretty strong foundation in animal science. After my undergrad, I looked into doing graduate school, and um, I found out that the University of Kentucky was a great place to go, so I went there for my master's degree. Okay. And then after Kentucky, I moved back to um, Canada, and I worked for a little bit and then realized that I needed to go and do my PhD if I wanted to do the things I wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. um, back at Guelph, I did my PhD in horse nutrition and wow. that was it and I was rolling wow <laughs> so how long did that take uh with all your schooling all said and done so it was four years of undergrad two mm-hmm. years for my master's and then I kind of had sort of a weird two or one and a half two years where I um I actually worked at a research facility in Guelph um and then I went back to do my PhD and then I finished that in 2005 so that was about three-ish three and a half four years-ish in there oh wow so what did you end up doing your thesis on um for my PhD I actually studied uh, glucose metabolism and insulin Mm -hmm. sensitivity I was one of the first people to really get into that um that field looking at how um dietary components like the starches and sugars versus the fat and fiber affected insulin sensitivity in the horse and how uh, exercise training affected that as well. Hmm. Oh, wow. It's a good coffee table book. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So us being barrel racers, there's just um, endless things that we can give our horses. So we are super excited just to dive into some basic nutrition for uh, like an idle horse, Mm -hmm. working horse and whatnot. So can we start off by just talking about the basic nutritional needs of an idle horse? You bet. All right. So, um, you know, first thing, whenever I'm talking with students or horse owners and we're talking about nutrients, uh, people can list off proteins or vitamins and things, but we always forget about water. And so water is by far and away the most important nutrient. Mm -hmm. It's often overlooked. Um, but if a horse is without water, it will cause death faster than any other deficiency you can think of. So, uh, horses should always have, uh, fresh water, plenty of it. A horse can drink, you know, up to 50 liters a day, uh, potentially more of that if they're exercising a lot or sweating. Um, if they're at 
pasture. They might not actually drink as much because the water is, is found in the pasture, but they're still taking in uh, certainly lots of water. Um, so that's one of the biggest things. Um, and then from there, we kind of get into uh, our other sort of other nutrient things that we really think about actually feeding our horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll start with protein, even though um, we'll talk about energy and calories and things like that in a second. But um, protein is, is one that there's a lot of focus on. So I want to kind of talk about what protein is and, and what we need to think about. Uh, so protein is basically a single protein and one type of protein uh, is a chain of these molecules called amino acids. And how I always think about it is uh, a protein is like a word and the amino acids are the letters of the alphabet. And so you can take many different letters of the alphabet and put them in different orders and make up lots of different words. And so it's the same type of thing with our proteins. So we could have, uh, there are about 20 different amino acids. And if you make, you can make short chains or you can make chains with thousands of amino acids. And so you generate all of these different types of proteins. And so when the horse is eating protein, what they're really eating, uh, or they're eating the proteins, these whole big structures that are found in the feed. But when they're digesting them, they're actually digesting and absorbing the amino acids. So it's really the amino acids that we truly care about when we are feeding our horses. Mm-hmm. And then once those amino acids are absorbed, they go into the bloodstream and then they go to various tissues like the liver, where those amino acids are sort of repackaged into various different types of protein. Now, with the amino acids, there are some of the amino acids that the body can actually make themselves. So as long as the body's got um, the element of nitrogen, it can go and create some of these amino acids. And so these these are considered non-essential amino acids because even though the body needs them, they can make them themselves. And so they're not required in the diet specifically. But then we also have these essential amino acids. And so these are ones that uh, the body cannot make And so they have to be provided for in the diet. And the most sort of well-known of these essential amino acids is the one called lysine. And I always say that lysine is very similar to the letter E. You wouldn't get very far writing a paper with all kinds of words without the letter E. And so Mm -hmm. horses do need a lot of uh, lysine in their diet. And if that lysine or any of these other amino acids are limiting there's just going to be a limit to how much protein synthesis the body can do. Yeah. And uh, I want to kind of preface this too, by going and thinking about, you know, from a dietary standpoint, so many people are very focused on the percentages of protein that Mm -hmm. might be on a bag on their hay. And so they're like, okay, well, I'm going to feed this feed because it's got 12% protein, but this one's got 10 uh, or, you know, I'm going to, try to find a hay that's got 16% protein. And I really want to make it clear that the percentages really have nothing to do with the requirements at all. Because Hmm. when we're saying a horse needs protein, we say, and we know that for an average 500 kilogram horse or like 1100 pound horse, 
that horse needs 630 grams. So they can easily meet that 630 grams of protein by going and eating, um, well, if you had a, a hay that only had 7% protein, so a relatively low percentage of protein, but if that horse ate 10 kilograms of it, which would be very normal for a horse of that size to eat, he'd actually be bringing in 700 grams, which is more than enough. And so we'd never know how much protein a horse is actually getting if you just look at the percentage. You have to figure out how much of that feed they're actually consuming. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of that, too, is a horse could be consuming 1,200 grams of protein, but if there's no lysine in it, then it's not going to do the horse any good. So you have to think about sort of the total amount that a horse needs and then also the the amount of uh, lysine. So, for example, if that 500-kilogram horse requires 27 grams of lysine, mm-hmm. so you'd also have to figure out how much lysine is in your different feeds and, and work that out to make sure that your horse is getting uh, that uh, lysine. So lysine must be like a really uh, good thing to be adding to your feed then? Yes. Yeah. And it is found in uh, good quality quantities in something like soybean meal. Mm-hmm. And okay. so that's why if you're looking at commercial feeds, very, very often, if you're looking at the ingredients, you'll see soybean meal. And that's specifically added because it's a very good source of uh, protein and very good quality protein. It's got a lot of those key amino acids. Mm-hmm. So that's a really important one there. Would, uh, would peas have high lysine as well? Uh, peas do. They're also, they're considered a legume. Mm-hmm. And so they actually do have a good amount of uh, protein and a good amount of amino acids. They're not quite high, as high as uh, soybean meal, but they're still an excellent source. So when people are trying to avoid feeding too much soybean meal for whatever reasons, then peas are a really good alternative. Okay. Gotcha. That's good to know because actually finding lysine here, the closest place to get it is actually two hours away because I know that um, we have some. So that's just good to know because I have some peas at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've got water, we've got protein. And then when we think about our other nutrients, there are a couple different ways that you can um, sort of consider nutrients. Um, so what we really need uh, for the body are calories. But they get calories from, horses can get calories from different types of feed ingredients. So horses can get calories from carbohydrates. They can get calories from fat, and they can also get some calories from protein. Now, I'll start off with that protein. Uh, in order for protein to be metabolized into a form where it can be used to provide energy and calories for the horse, you have to remove that nitrogen component of those amino acids. And that actually requires energy to do that. Mm-hmm. And that nitrogen then has to be excreted and ultimately is put out in the urine. And so metabolizing protein simply for energy production is actually not a very efficient thing to do. So when we're feeding protein, what we're really focusing on are getting those amino acids into the system for protein building. Mm -hmm. We really don't want to use those amino acids for calorie production. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's sort of the protein side of calories. And mm-hmm. so now we've got our, our um, carbohydrates and our fats. And even before I get there, let's 
sort of talk about what calories actually are. And so you might remember from, uh, you know, high school or something where you talked about what a true calorie is, where it's the amount of heat required to raise one gram of water by one degree centigrade. And so it's actually a tiny, tiny little amount of heat. And so when we're talking about calories, you know, in our own diet, we might think, okay, so a Snickers bar that has 215 calories or a Big Mac has 560 calories. Those are actually kilocalories. So those are actually a thousand of those little calories that are required to raise water by one degree temperature. Okay. And when you look at your, your human foods, calories are written with a capital C. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the calories that are, you know, that little one gram of temperature, that's actually lowercase c. So when we're talking in calories for people, we're talking in kilocalories. When we talk about calories for horses, we're going into megacalories. Okay. So a thousand times fold of that. And so while a human might require between... 1,500 to 2,000 calories per day, uh, depending on their body weight and stuff like that, that's really 1.5 to 2 megacalories. Meanwhile, our average horse requires 16.67 megacalories of energy per day. All right, so it's a huge fold increase just obviously based on their body weight. Yeah. And so when we think about when how to get these calories. Ultimately, it's from uh, the metabolism of, again, our carbohydrates or our fats or a little bit from proteins. And when we think about carbohydrates in strictest sense, we think about um, sugar. So mm-hmm. all carbohydrates are some form of simple sugars. So glucose being the most common. And so if you were to take sugar and set it on fire and truly measure the calories that in that, we're going to have four megacalories per kilogram. Meanwhile, if we were to set fat on fire, it's going to have nine megacalories per kilogram. And that's why, you know, for people, if we're trying to lose weight, you decrease the amount of fat in the diet just because it's so energy dense. When... When horses or people are eating, first off, they're rarely eating straight sugar or straight fat or even straight protein. It's usually Mm -hmm. a mix of a bunch of things. And so the total calories that might be in a commercial grain feed, it's going to have, you know, a typical grain might have, the door just opened, uh, a typical grain might have, um, you know, let's say 50% carbohydrates. 10% 10% water, 15% protein, maybe 8% fat, and then some action minerals and whatever else. Um, and so that's, the, you know, you set it on fire and you might get whatever number from that. Now what the horse actually takes in and what we talk about in terms of usable calories for the horse is actually digestible energy. So we're not just setting stuff on fire to determine those calories we're actually thinking about how the horse can use those different calorie sources and this comes down to digestion and so when we think about our great big category of carbohydrates we have some carbohydrates like uh, starches and simple sugars that are very easily digested by the horse and so 
uh, feeds that are very high in simple carbohydrates can get close to four megacalories per kilogram. Mm-hmm. And but a lot of those calorie or those carbohydrates might actually be, be different types of fiber. And fiber, because it's digested by the horse differently, because the horse is a hindgut fermenter and they've got all of their microbes in the back part of their digestive tract, that's where fiber is It's not actually digested, it's actually fermented. And in that process, they lose heat, they lose gas, and the amount that's left over for the horse is relatively low. So if you were to give a horse straight starch, they might get four megacals per kilogram out of that. But if they were to eat something like hay that had quite a bit of fiber in it, they might only get two megacalories per kilogram from that of digestible energy from that feed just because of the, um, the fiber within it. Gotcha. Fat is actually very well digested by the horse. And so it has, you know, really about nine megacals per uh, kilogram of, of fat. Mm-hmm. And so when we're trying to, Again, if that horse needs 16.767 megacalories, uh, we might need that with, you know, 10 of those megacalories might be coming from hay, and then maybe another five might be coming from carbohydrates or simple carbohydrates, uh, like in our commercial grains, and then there might be some additional fat kind of all built into that. So the horse is actually getting their calories from a bunch of different sources. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that I want to say, too, in terms of calorie requirements for a horse is that um, the average horse requires about um, 16.67 megacals per day, that 500-kilogram horse. Now, this assumes a horse is um, at maintenance, so not gaining or losing weight, walking around perhaps in a, uh, a field or wherever to get their water, to get their food that they're not in any kind of work, they're idle. But even knowing this type of adult mature idle horse, we know that some horses are considered easy keepers. Mm -hmm. And so for whatever reasons, their metabolism is a little bit lower. And so there, that same 500 kilogram horse might actually have lower energy requirements at closer to 15 megacalories per day. And so that horse would not be able to eat as much food, again, just to maintain its body weight because it has this sort of innately lower metabolism. And then on the other end, we have horses that we call hard keepers, where they might have um, additional behaviors, they might stall walk, et cetera. But even if they they don't actually exhibit those types of behaviors, um, they might still just have a higher metabolic rate and they actually might require closer to 18 megacalories per day uh, just to maintain body weight. So there's kind of this um, variation within those. Mm-hmm. Any questions about the, the energy side of things? Uh, I don't think so. I think it like it makes sense. I've done a little bit of uh, like macro counting myself. So it's very similar, like your your big main macros that you keep track of, like your protein, carbs, fat. And I think it's, right. you know, very similar with the horses. Just to reiterate, right. I guess, to everybody, um, I was taking a little bit of notes here, but your typical average idle 1,100-pound horse um, requires about 630 grams of protein a day. What were the other two numbers yep. for carbs and fat in terms of, do you have them off the top of your head in grams? 
Um, well, so this is the thing. A horse does not need any grams of fat. They do not okay. actually have gram requirements of carbohydrates. Okay. Um, okay. They don't have gram requirements of fiber. Although we all know if we don't feed a horse enough fiber, they can develop colic and mm-hmm. it's good. But they don't. So this is why, um, you know, in terms of listing at the nutrients, um, mm-hmm. you know, horses really don't have gram requirements of certain carbohydrates, but that what they do need are the calories that they can okay. get from carbohydrates okay. or wrong. from okay. fats or from protein. Okay. Hey, Rider Dies. If you haven't already, make sure you check out OE Nutraceuticals in Canada for clinically proven and tested supplements. And be sure to use our code HORSEPOR for 10% off. But so we've gone through then water and protein and energy again. Yes. So let's then um, dip into our minerals. Yeah. So uh, when we talk about minerals, there are two ways to classify minerals, either as macro minerals or major minerals. And then we've got our um, micro minerals or minor minerals. And so our macro minerals or major minerals, these are ones where horses require them in amounts of grams per day. So for example, a horse requires 20 grams of calcium per day, 14 grams of phosphorus per day. And then our micro minerals, the horses require in milligrams per day. The horse might require 400 um, milligrams of zinc they might require one milligram of uh selenium but those are all in milligrams per day gotcha so if we talk about our major minerals so calcium and phosphorus are two that we think of um, because of their big importance in terms of bone health that is where most calcium and phosphorus is found in the body in the bone and they do have you know a major need of that 20 milligrams Uh, sorry, 20 grams for calcium, um, 14 grams for phosphorus. The other thing to remember for these guys is that you always have to have more calcium in the diet than phosphorus. The ideal ratio that people might have heard of is a two to one ratio of calcium to phosphorus. But really, it's anywhere from like 1.1 part calcium to one part phosphorus, all the way up to even eight parts calcium to one part phosphorus. So that 14 grams of phosphorus is a minimum, but we also have to, in the 20 grams for calcium, but we also have to have that two to one ratio. Okay. And that's just based on how calcium and phosphorus are sort of um, digested and then absorbed in the body, mm-hmm. because a lot of times calcium will be bound to various forms of phosphorus. And so then if it's bound, there's no free calcium to be absorbed. So you always have to have a little bit more calcium than phosphorus. But so, uh, so that's the calcium and phosphorus. Um, the next sort of category of the major minerals would be our electrolytes. So that's our sodium, potassium, and chloride. Um, these are important in electrical function within the cells and uh, propagating and continuing nervous uh, signals. Uh, throughout the body, muscle contraction, all kinds of things like that. Um, uh, Horses need, again, this sort of idle horse needs 10 grams of sodium, 40 grams of chloride, and 25 grams of potassium. 
And in most horse feeds, hay pasture in particular, that is a very, very good source of potassium. And so horses really don't need to, um, unless they're in a very intensely working horse where they're really sweating a lot, most potassium needs are going to be met. Chloride is found in, you know, in some amounts in a lot of forages, but sodium is really lacking. And so it's really important if you had a horse just on water and pasture, for example, you always have to give them some kind of salt source so that they can get that sodium into them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a super important one. Mm -hmm. um, other macro minerals would be um, sulfur and magnesium. Uh, sulfur is a component of a lot of uh, amino, it's in some amino acids, it's a component of a lot of proteins. Um, magnesium is um, involved in, in bones, it's involved in a lot of uh, energy processes. Uh, but so those ones make up all of the macro minerals. Okay. Then if we get into the micro minerals, um, this is where we think about copper and zinc and iron and manganese, selenium, uh, cobalt. These are all of our, our micro minerals and they all have various functions within the body. Um, a couple ones to note would be uh, zinc and copper. These two are um, sort of involved in, uh, in copper, especially in collagen formation and tissue development. Um, and then the thing between the two of them is that you always want to have about a four to one ratio of zinc to copper. So a horse needs 400 milligrams of zinc, they need 100 milligrams of copper. Um, then we've also got, um, let's see, uh, iron is obviously important because it's a component of red blood cells. Um, it is also found in very high amounts in most pastures and most hay. Um, and so rarely would a horse need to be supplemented with too much additional iron. And in fact, too much iron can be problematic. Um, and the body's actually, it's usually quite good at um, moderating iron absorption. So that if the body has good iron stores, even if you feed more of it, it's just not going to be absorbed. But if you do feed even more of it, then some can be absorbed. And then there are also people who, um, you know, wrongly think that um, it's having more iron in the system will make more red blood cells and then of course would be a better athlete. And so they would actually inject iron into the blood. And that's very bad because there's no way that the body can get rid of iron. And so if a horse has high iron stores um, or iron levels in their blood, the only way to get rid of that is to actually um, do bloodletting. So cut oh, them wow. and let them bleed for a while and get rid of that extra iron. Wow, crazy. Um, some horses do have slightly higher iron requirements, particularly if they've got any kind of um, active gastric ulcers. And if they are bleeding internally a little bit then they would need, then that would be a way that iron is being lost and they would need to replace that. Yeah. Um, the other one that's kind of interesting of note um, is the selenium. At, if only a horse only requires one milligram of it. And depending, and the thing that's sort of interesting about it is that uh, selenium content in feeds is highly dependent on the soil where it was grown. So oh, okay. if you're in the Midwest, uh, selenium tends to be quite high. And so most feeds grown in the Midwest or further West 
can be fairly high in selenium. Meanwhile, here in North Carolina and parts of Ontario, it is relatively low. Mm-hmm. And so you might have to have it added into your diet. So it's one that is very, um, you know, you just have to sort of track it a little bit. And it's labeled yeah. on all horse feeds. Um, sometimes it's expensive to have it tested in the hay. But if you know where your hay is coming from, then you can kind of do a little bit of guesses in terms of uh, what that content might be. Mm-hmm. So those are our minerals. Um, then we get into the vitamins. And so we can characterize our vitamins as either fat-soluble or water-soluble vitamins. So let's start with our water-soluble vitamins. When a vitamin is water-soluble, it means that it, when you take it in, if you don't use it, it is going to be water-soluble and it's going to come out in the urine. And so what this means is that it is very difficult to have a toxicity of a water-soluble vitamin. And for people, we always think about when you were a kid and you wanted to eat all of those um, orange-flavored vitamin C tablets. (laughs) And if you happened to eat 50 of them, it really wasn't a big deal because all of that extra vitamin C would actually just come out in the urine. Um, But the other side of that is, is that there's no storage of the water-soluble vitamins. So they really are ones that the horse needs to consume every day or uh, be provided for every day so that they can meet those. So our water-soluble vitamins are vitamin C and then our B-complex vitamins. Vitamin C is actually not technically required by horses. So humans, uh, guinea pigs, fruit bats, non-human primates, have a dietary requirement for vitamin C because we cannot make it. Mm-hmm. Horses can actually make vitamin C from glucose in their liver. That set. So in theory, horses do not need any vitamin C whatsoever in their diet. That said, there is some evidence that older horses have lower vitamin C status. So that might mean that maybe they can't synthesize it as well as they get older or perhaps they're using it faster than they could produce it. And so if you look at any feed that's designed for a senior horse, you'll see vitamin C or um, ascorbic acid added Mm -hmm. into that diet. You'll also see it in just about every other feed now too. And that's because vitamin C functions as an antioxidant. And because it's water soluble uh, and it does the body good, might as well help out the body and give them a bit of extra vitamin C. It's very commonly found in a lot of horse feed um, just for that antioxidant uh, supplementation, not specifically because the body doesn't need it or because, you know, the horses can actually make it themselves. It's just a supplemental amount. Our B vitamins, uh, so this would be like thiamine and niacin, riboflavin, et cetera. These are actually synthesized by those microbes in the horse's large intestine and so what this means is that um, a horse that's got a healthy digestive tract healthy microbes in their digestive tract they those microbes can produce all of the b vitamins and then those can be absorbed by the horse and the microbes are so good at doing this that there has never been a true vitamin b vitamin deficiency Uh, recognized in the horse 
other than if they had had some eaten some kind of toxin that specifically attacked a vitamin. So, for okay. example, you should not feed your horses um, raw soybeans or okay. uh, raw egg whites because they've got compounds in them that actually specifically target some of these B vitamins. Hmm. Now, the function of B vitamins is the body is uh, they help with the um, uh, chemical reactions in energy metabolism. So to how the body's actually metabolizing the carbohydrate into uh, the energy that the muscle is going to use. And so supplementing with B vitamins is very common in efforts to try to support horse metabolism. There is no research to actually show that it does anything really to help, but it's certainly not going to hurt. And they're water soluble, so it's not a big deal. The only B vitamin where supplemental amounts have actually been shown to do anything is biotin. This um, B vitamin in particular has been shown to help improve hoof quality in horses that have got four feet. So if you've got a horse that struggles with sort of crumbly feet, if you supplement them with biotin, and that's found in every single hoof supplement you can purchase, then that will hopefully help out with their feet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Heard about that one before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So now in our fat-soluble vitamins, these ones are, um, if you feed them, they are going to be stored in the fat the adipose tissue, and then also the liver to some degree. And so what this means then is if you top up these stores, then there's going to be more and more that could be accumulating in the blood or in other tissues, and you could get to a point where it's toxic. And so vitamin A and vitamin B are the two fat-soluble vitamins where toxicities um, could occur. Um, okay. And in fact, vitamin D is um, the most common toxicity I've ever seen in horses. Okay. And that's because um, diet, uh, commercial feeds, if there's an error putting vitamin D into the diet, um, it can it can be pretty bad. Um, vitamin D has a fairly narrow window in terms of what the horse requires and what's toxic. Um, and so the fat-soluble vitamins are vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and then vitamin K. So vitamin A, um, this is a vitamin that is used, um, it's involved in uh, tissue synthesis and um, building tissues, um, also involved in eyesight. Now, most of the vitamin A that a horse gets is actually from consuming beta-carotene which is found, of course, in our carrots, but also our pastures are plentiful in beta-carotene. Beta-carotene is water-soluble. So you never have to worry about a vitamin A toxicity from too much pasture or too many carrots. It will just go right through them, just like the B vitamins or vitamin C. Mm -hmm. okay. But vitamin A, if it's added into a commercial feed, is true vitamin A. And that could potentially have a toxicity if a horse is fed too much of it. Um, vitamin D is the sunshine vitamin. It is actually synthesized within the skin and then modified um, in the kidneys and livers. Um, but it, it is produced 
within 15 minutes of sun exposure, uh, and this is, you know, a horse that's got a hair coat, uh, 15 minutes is supposed to be enough to allow them to synthesize the vitamin D that they require. Now, a lot of times, particularly in the winter, our horses might be heavily blanketed. They might not be outside as much, and there might not be as much sun. And so vitamin D is one where uh, might have to be supplemented at certain times of the year. And again, it's that one where if it is supplemented in the diet, it is a, sometimes there are some formulation errors that can be pretty, uh, pretty bad. Uh, speaking of vitamin D, I actually like, for, mm-hmm. like how you said it connects to the kidneys. Um, I actually have a vitamin D deficiency in my own body and I've actually had problems with kidney stones since I was a younger girl. So that's cool how you can relate that to horses as well compared to our bodies. Yeah. And of course, and you probably know this then that vitamin D, one of its biggest functions is to help with calcium absorption Yes, from the digestive tract. So if you don't have enough vitamin D, then there's a chance that you might not have enough calcium in your system. And so you probably had to take supplements with perhaps vitamin D, but then also with additional calcium. Yeah. Like I have vitamin D and calcium pills. So I I actually like never even thought to supplement my horses with vitamin Mm -hmm. D. So that's really cool to learn. And I was wondering. Well, so you you usually don't have to supplement them with vitamin D. Okay. They're usually going to be just fine. Okay. Unless they're on stall rest. Um, oh, okay. You know, they don't get that sunlight exposure. So yeah. in regards to blanketing, how much does that affect how much vitamin D they're getting in the winter? Um, so, you know, I don't know in terms of, you know, international units, what percentage that would decrease. Uh, a horse, um, you know, that is heavily blanketed would need to be outside even longer so that if his neck is not blanketed, he's got that. Uh, type of exposure to the sun. Okay. Now, most horse feeds, particularly in Canada, do have vitamin D added. Okay. And that's to compensate for potential lack of sunlight and decent weather. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. okay. Um, you know, just having it in your feed is going to be fine, but you don't necessarily have to seek out a, an additional uh, vitamin D supplement. Um, because it's already going to be probably added in your feed. Now, if you're just feeding oats and hay, then yes, you might have to find a vitamin D supplement okay. Uh, okay. during those times of year. Yeah, we yeah. got a lot of darkness. Um, yeah, here. we do. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I remember. I, I grew up in Toronto. I know that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So again, if you look at the feed tag um, for feeds produced in Canada, most of them will have vitamin D added in them mm-hmm. to, to sort of you know just cover the bases. Um, the other vitamin, uh, fat soluble vitamin, vitamin E, um, this one is also, uh, functions as an antioxidant, um, and it works in tight conjunction with selenium. And so a lot of times if you buy a vitamin E supplement, it's usually E and selenium. Now, sometimes you might not need that additional selenium. Sometimes you might only need, uh, the vitamin E and so you'd have to just go out and buy that. But um, vitamin does vitamin E does function as an antioxidant. It is probably one of the most common vitamin supplements that people offer. And the nice thing about it is that even though it is a fat-soluble vitamin, it 
doesn't pose too many threats in terms of toxicity. What it can do is sort of affect the metabolism of some other vitamins, um, but you really do have to feed way, way high, you know, more than 10 times the amount required uh, for a horse to get to that point. The last vitamin, the last fat-soluble vitamin is vitamin K. And that one is involved in blood clotting. And it is also synthesized by those microbes in the horse's digestive tract. So supplementing with vitamin K is also not typically required because those microbes do a really good job of it. The only time when vitamin K might be required would be if... um, There's a a compound that's produced um, with sweet clover. If it's gone moldy, it produces a compound called dicumerol, and that is a vitamin K antagonist. It actually works like warfarin, uh, rat poison. Those are vitamin K antagonists. Hmm. So rat poison literally works by um, by, um, causing rats to essentially bleed out. Oh. Pretty sad to think about, but yeah. It is. So anyway. So that's uh, the vitamin K. But again, horses usually are, are just fine with that vitamin K. Um, and you usually don't have to supplement with it. Um, I was going to say something else, but now I've forgotten about that one. Um, I kind of have a question about uh, vitamin with vitamins. And if it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense, then we can cut it out. But you were just talking about um, how vitamins, especially vitamin D, can uh, in- like increase uh, calcium. Um, absorption. Mm-hmm. So yep. say you have a foal that's not nursing or a foal that needs um, extra attention or it, maybe it's an orphan foal, would giving them extra vitamins as well as milk help them absorb that, uh, what they've already lost? Well, um, so if you're actually feeding a milk replacer yep. for a foal, an orphan foal, then it's already, it should already have that in it. Okay. And it should have plenty of calcium already in it to mm-hmm. compensate for for any of that for the, to support the growth but yeah the milk replacers are there's a lot of research on them because you know it happens sadly more often than not mm-hmm. um, but those are formulated to meet all of the needs of that foal okay yeah I'd assume so but it's just uh it's neat to hear how it's all broken down and into vitamins and and everything that's cool yeah All right, Rider Dies, head on over to Dynamic Equine and check out what they have to offer on that page. The Beamer Blanket is one of those things, and we are such believers in the Beamer. Go check it out. Okay, well, that was was great information. Like, everyone will be able to I warned you that one section was going to be really long. (laughs) (laughs) It was perfect. That's an awesome baseline for, like, all the other questions to build off of, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of, like, a good description of, like, what all the requirements are. So... I guess we went over some that maybe aren't necessarily like you're not required to supplement them. Um, I right. guess, and it just, it just differs so much depending on, I guess, what kind of hay your horse is eating. Like it's, it's so situational. You can't just say, Oh yeah, you guys should be supplementing. Make sure you mm-hmm. get some selenium, some this, some that. Cause it's just, it's different for every scenario. So I guess like it is a person should just really, I guess your, your baseline feed is your hay or your pasture. So a person should really be getting that tested to see where you sit for all these other nutrients and then micro and macro minerals and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes. So especially if a horse 
um, is not being fed a whole lot of commercial concentrate, that hay becomes the biggest, and even if a horse is eating a whole lot of concentrates too, hay really is the biggest provider of nutrients for the horse. And people just kind of don't really look at that. But when I, when I do a nutritional evaluation and I can graph out the percentage of energy, the percentage of protein, the percentage of calcium and phosphorus that's coming from the hay, um, depending on the hay quality and how much of that hay they're eating, it can meet very easily, uh, even so a decent quality grass hay fed at a decent amount um, can meet all of the protein, all the protein, all the energy, all the calcium, all the phosphorus, um, all the potassium, all the magnesium, iron, um, you know, if it's relatively fresh hay, it would have still some vitamin E and some vitamin um, A still in it or beta carotene still in it. You know, they really can get so many of those nutrients just from the hay. And so, but people, mm-hmm. I find horse owners focus so much on the concentrate without looking at the hay mm-hmm. and going and spending the $20 for a hay analysis can actually save you money in the long run because mm-hmm, yeah, if you so know much. exactly what is in the hay, you can say, all right, well, I don't actually need this entire commercial feed or I can actually feed less of it or I could just go and feed um, a trace mineral salt block or maybe a little ration balancer or a little soybean meal or whatever just to meet the requirements that are not provided for in the hay. Yeah. And so that hay analysis is, uh, you know, if you do want to get very uh, analytical looking at your diet, um, it is the best bang for your buck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your baseline Um, every year should almost be that analysis. Right. And because, and I know it's hard if you're in a barn where you get new hay shipments in all the time. Um, But if you are in a situation where, you have sort of the same source of hay for a period of time, um, then it really is very beneficial. And, you know, I've seen people spend hundreds of dollars on nutrient uh, consults, but without a hay analysis, that consult, you know, is just using book values for the hay. So it's never going to be as accurate as if you actually had a hay analysis. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And um, if you can just get some good hay, you might. Yeah, you might not have to spend nearly as much money elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, up here we're more like our hay last year wasn't very good because it rained all summer and everyone had a really hard time putting up any dry hay. So then it was all made in August. So from our from our tests, everything was just like all the nutrients seemed pretty low. Mm -hmm. But at least up here in farm country, we do normally do have the availability to just get like our whole year's hay at at one time or from the same person consistently off that same field. So Mm -hmm. we are lucky in that sense up here. But Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Have you guys checked out Level Up Apparel yet? If not, check them out on our Instagram or their Instagram and use horsepoor at checkout to save yourself 10%. So how would all of this change for an adult performance horse in moderate work? So the biggest difference is going to be in terms of their calorie requirements and how, um, so the NRC is the uh, National Research Council's uh, publication where they've got a a book together based on science from years and years and years and they have what we call the the nutrient requirements courses 
And so this publication has all these guidelines and all these numbers in it. Um, but how the NRC classifies horses in work is they have sort of the idle horse, light work, moderate work, heavy work, and intense work. Okay. And so a horse that's in light work might be ridden a couple times a week, mostly walking, trotting, maybe some trail rides, et cetera. Um, moderate work would be sort of uh, some of our lesson types of horses, low level, um, you know, maybe I, th- I would think barrel racing would be a little bit more, but um, yeah. a lot of our sort of low level show horses um, getting into the heavy work would be, uh, you know, certainly a competitive barrel racer, okay. uh, show jumper, low level adventures, um, maybe horses in training. Um, cetera and then uh, our intents are really restricted to like our race horses elite grade adventures and polo ponies sort of up in that very high amount okay. and so when we look at these different uh categories the biggest thing if i were to go through and i go um and look at nutrients that change going from you know idle to light to moderate to uh heavy and intense um the energy requirements, so those calorie requirements going from maintenance and idle to intense work, those calories double. So that same 500-kilogram horse, 1,100-pound horse, instead of requiring 16.7 megacalories if he's idle, would be almost 35 megacalories at work. Mm -hmm. And so those energy requirements totally double. Meanwhile, protein only goes up by about 15% or sorry, 50, 50%, 50%. So they might go from uh, so 630 grams up to 1,004. And so this is a really important thing for uh, people with athletic horses to think about. So a horse going into work, they are going to be accumulating muscle protein in terms of muscle growth. And so there is some requirement for amino acids and proteins for that component. There's also some loss of nitrogen in a horse's sweat even. Mm-hmm. But the the amount of protein that's required is just not to the same degree as the amount of calories required. Yeah. And very often when a horse is moving from let's say they've been out of work and they're moving back into race training or something like that, and they're moving from like idle to light to uh, moderate, et cetera, those horses are going to be eating more to meet their energy requirements. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, they're going to be very easily meeting their protein requirements. Yeah. So if you were feeding your horse at maintenance, um, let's say he's eating a 10% protein mix, and he's only getting two kilograms of it when he's maybe in light work. So that would be 200 grams of protein. By the time he's going up into intense work, and he might be eating five kilograms of that, you know, that suddenly he's getting 500 grams of additional protein. Mm-hmm. So just because he's eating more to meet his calorie requirement, by default, he's also very easily eating these meeting those protein requirements and so people who are 
you know, putting their horses into work, they don't necessarily need to go and feed a 14% crude protein type of feed because they're already eating so much of it that they're easily meeting those protein requirements. And so a couple things on that is that, um, one, too much protein can actually be detrimental to exercise. Um, It's, um, if there's too much nitrogen because that excess protein has to be expelled in the urine, um, then that can actually be detrimental. It can um, alter the horse's blood acid base balance. It can cause the horse has to urinate now more often. And so that's soaking up a lot of water. So they have to drink a whole lot more. Um, so it's not good for a horse to consume too much more protein than it actually requires. How now, do we know? That, we do Sorry, I, just a Sorry. question there. How do we know what too much might be for a certain horse? Is there any signs? Um, not, not necessarily. So let me say the okay. best way to know how much protein your horse is getting is to calculate it. Okay. So to find out what's in your hay, find out what's in your grain, say, all right, my horse is eating seven, seven kilograms of hay. He's eating three kilograms of this. And you literally add it up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's really the easiest way. Mm-hmm. If a horse is eating way too much protein or suddenly has gone to a higher protein diet, you will notice a smellier stall. Okay. I wonder that. The biggest thing. I've had people, yeah, so I've had people, you know, contact me over the years and they've said, you know, there's my horse might be, I think he might have kidney failure or something like that. And I say, why? And it turns, they said, oh, my stall is suddenly so bad. My horse is urinating all the time. He's drinking so much water. And then I, I asked if, you know, what changes have been made? And suddenly they're feeding alfalfa. Mm-hmm. And because oh, okay. it's got such high protein in it, basically that's all that's happening is that extra protein is just going out in the urine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's okay. really the only outward sign of too much protein. Okay. Um, I that. Yeah. And as sort of a symptom of too much protein. When trying to, like, when trying to add this up then, is there a number, like say your horse mm-hmm. is uh, just on a round bale, like lots of, the, lots of them are up here, um, or even just like a round bale, but with a net on it, like how many pounds on average a day, is there like an average number that a horse would eat hay, like amount in hay a day if they're kind of have their free choice? Right. So free choice forage intake um, is about, it's going to average about 2% of their body weight. Okay. Okay. So if you were to, again, if your horse had all of the free forage they wanted to eat, they would probably go and consume around 2% of their body weight. Okay. So that 500 kilogram horse is going to eat about 10 kilograms of dried hay. Okay. So that's Perfect. kind of a good starting point. If they are more into work and they're eating maybe more carbohydrate or more concentrate, then that might go down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. So over, you know, overall, a horse's normal total intake and feed is going to be around 2% of their body weight. Um, Horses that aren't doing so much might be closer to like 1.5, 1.8. Meanwhile, um, you know, that lactating mare, she's going to be trying to eat as much as she can closer to 3% of her body weight. Okay. Okay. Um, And just to kind of point out that pasture, 
is the kicker because it's so tasty. Horses will overeat that. They might eat closer to 3% of their body weight in mm-hmm. pasture. Because they love um, grass. You know, yeah. <laughs> dry pasture. And so that's, yeah. that's why, you know, obesity and stuff like that is a problem with pasture because they can just eat too much of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other way, this is maybe getting too much, but um, the other way to do it is to, if you had your, that hay analyzed, and if you know how much your horse weighs and you know your horse isn't gaining or losing weight, you could, um, you know, figure out how much of that hay the horse would need to be meeting that energy requirement yep. and then work backwards. Um, but, I have a um, question about some hay as well. Um, what about hay that has been baled that has a little bit of clover in it and your horse might be sensitive a little, to... Oh, clover. Uh, and your horse might be sensitive to alcyc. What's something that you can do to either uh, benefit that horse? Say like, like right now we just don't really have much of a choice when it comes to hay, just because you're, um, it was pretty scarce up here this year. So, um, yeah. What are your thoughts or some help that you can do for a horse that is eating that? Um, so my knowledge, it's only bad if it's spoiled. Okay. Is that correct? We don't even get that much help um, down there. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought, I, I don't know. I, th- I think like an old wives tale is you can have a certain percent in there and it's okay. But after that, it's a little bit toxic. Yeah. And, and horses. some horses will be okay on it. And some horses won't be. And yeah. it affects their like white. Yeah. The white, uh, the, 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 white the horses to... with white seem to be a lot more yeah, sensitive to it. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so I guess you know, to answer that then is if you have a horse that is truly sensitive, then you need to find a different hay. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's kind of the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, depending on the content and how much is actually in there, then you might be able to dilute out with something else. So again, the total amount that's coming in is not as high. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your horse is really sensitive and there's, you know, really an issue, then you should just avoid it like so, even you could try feeding those timothy cubes for a while and yeah see yeah if so, you don't have anything else what yeah so yes either timothy cubes or timothy hay or another type of feed to dilute um how much you're feeding yeah. of that yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah perfect so on the topic of hay like um do you think hay just a straight grass mix hay would be enough for a performance horse or they should they have some alfalfa mixed in there uh so bottom line is no in terms of protein requirements um a performance horse can easily get their protein requirements just from a good quality grass hay Mm -hmm. um a little bit of you know if there is a little bit of clover or a little bit of like alfalfa or something in it that's probably fine um but it does it does add up um the only time I would suggest that you really try to offer some alfalfa to, or, you know, more and more alfalfa to an athletic horse would be if they've got any kind of gastric ulcer issue. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's because the additional calcium that is in alfalfa in particular uh, can act as a little bit more of a sort of natural buffer within the horse's stomach and kind of decrease, neutralize the acidity. Okay. Very good to know. Yes. Yeah. Because a lot of barrel horses deal with ulcers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. 
yeah. So, and that is the case where um, the extra protein might not, uh, doesn't necessarily like outweigh the positive benefits of the additional calcium. Gotcha. Okay. But I probably still wouldn't have that horse on full alfalfa hay anyway. It would just be more supplemental to the other hay that they're getting. Okay. Okay. So even adding alfalfa pellets, would that be okay? Yeah. Alfalfa pellets and cubes. Yep. Okay. Um, if, if you do have alfalfa mixed in with your grass, like primarily up here, it's like Timothy or brome grass. Um, do you yeah. have a, like a percentage in mind that would be like your ideal round bale, like how much percent alfalfa it would be to the grasses? Um, I don't No. Um, there, there isn't one. I mean, no. <laughs> uh, for most of your horses, zero is probably just perfect. Okay. Um, if you have growing horses, uh, lactating mares, where you do need a little bit more protein, then sure, getting up to like a 50-50 mix. If you've got young growing horses, mm-hmm. you can actually feed them, you know, 90% of, you know, some kind of legume. Okay. Okay. And they'll be okay. So again, yeah. just But that's because their requirements are so much higher. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for us, I guess we do have barrel horses and a couple of brood mares and stuff like that, or in horses in training, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the alfalfa is quite popular in in our world. It seems like people really like to add it in, and a lot a lot even feed like straight alfalfa. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and they they probably do that because of the potential benefits of gas culture. Yeah, 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 yeah a lot of that. Yeah, just because it is so prevalent in barrel horses. Yeah, and it's also cheaper if they're at west. Sorry, what was that? Alfalfa, because it's made primarily at West, cheaper. Oh, find it okay. If you're already out there. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. So Up here I don't know what a bale would be. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Seems like it. Yeah, it's like a hundred yeah. and, I don't know, like second cut alfalfa too. I think we were going to ask you about that one day, but second cut alfalfa seems to be like the primo stuff and it seems like those ones are even more expensive like you know 180 dollars for a round bale or something crazy for a second cut hmm. regular yeah, bales I, like 80 i think regular yeah. grass grass okay. round bale. yeah yeah so, i mean it is always going to be significantly more mm-hmm. um but i would i just because if i wanted alfalfa here i have to tip it from you know, California or oh, somewhere out west. Yeah. Okay. As opposed to it being more native to closer by. Yeah. Where so depending sense. on where you guys are, if you're further south or whatever, depending mm-hmm. on the shipment of it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Gotcha. So when you are looking for hay and if you can't have mm-hmm. it tested before you buy it, like what are some things you would look for in good hay? So um the two biggest things that are going to affect the nutritional quality and how, you know, how much energy and protein and calcium and stuff like that is going to be the type of plant. So depending on how good you are with looking at pictures and then looking at hay, you could look at the hay and say, all right, well, there's some Timothy and there's some alfalfa and I see a little bit of clover in there mm-hmm. and you could get a feel for it being uh, 50% grass hay, 50% legume, or maybe it's mostly grass or, or whatever. So that's going to be one way to tell, um, to give you a bit of a ballpark. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is to look at the maturity. And so Timothy is always the easiest one. But as the plant grows, um, they will, um, as the plant grows and it's, as it's more mature, its nutrient density goes down. So a younger plant is going to be more nutrient dense than an older plant. And sometimes by looking at the seed head and tell how close they were to, to bud, um, you can tell approximately how mature that hay is. And so Timothy, again, is the easiest where you can t- look at these tiny little seed heads versus, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that are five inches long. Yeah. And so if something's five inches long, then it's going to mean that it's more mature mm-hmm. and, you know, it's going to be lower nutrient density. Now, having said that, lower nutritional de- nutrient density is potentially a good thing for a lot of horses. Right. I would much rather feed my horse 10 kilograms of a lower nutrient density hay than, you know, for the same amount of calories and protein than having to limit him to make six kilograms of it. Yeah. Because it's so nutrient dense. Yeah. And so, you know, if in the scale of if livestock, you know, horses, as long as the other thing that I was going to say in terms of looking at hay, um, sort of beyond nutritional quality, I like to see color. I like to see that it has still some green in it, unless it's orchard grass and then you kind of get that grayish tone to it. Yeah. I want to smell it. I want to smell like, and I am actually one that will taste hay. And um, I want to smell like, okay, I would eat this. Um, I want to be able to shake it up and not see that it's too dusty. I certainly don't want to see any mold. I do not want to see little dead bunnies or anything like that. (laughs) So really when, yeah, snakes, the whole bit. Um, We don't see that. You know, so that part is kind of, you know, if I can get all of that in something that is even, you know, semier, I'm okay Okay. with that for, you know, for that, um, horse that might be idle all the way up to, you know, um, maybe a very high performing horse or broodmares and babies. Mm-hmm. Um, most horses really can get away with hay that's in the maybe seven to 10% protein range. Yeah. If you get too much higher than that, if a horse is eating a lot of it, they're really taking in potentially too much protein, especially if they're also being fed concentrates on top of that mm-hmm. definitely yeah so I, I have even heard... though i can i sorry sorry no no go ahead i was just going to say that um you know even though looking at the hay and looking at the plant type and looking at the maturity you know you can say all right well this plant or this hay type is higher nutrient density than another one that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the better one for my horse yeah mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure Every situation is different, but I have heard or read somewhere that horses are actually, um, you know, built by nature to be grazing on like lower nutrient dense forage, but just all the time. So mm-hmm. that definitely makes sense that you, yes. you say that. Yeah. Yes. And that is very true. Um, that is actually based on one of my favorite research articles. But basically, if you compare um, horses to ruminants, obviously ruminants are far more efficient in terms of um, fermenting food, making it sort of useful for them to digest and absorb. Um, 
but they have a blockage. So because of how their digestive system is, they can't, they're limited more in terms of how much they can actually eat. Mm-hmm. Whereas a horse, if you actually had them on a lower quality feed, they would just eat more of it because there's no filter. They can just keep eating and it's mm-hmm. just going to keep on going through them and they'll eat more to make up for that potentially lower quality hay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've seen that with our hay bales. This year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So when you do get your hay tested, what would your ideal hay analysis read? Um, that all depends. <laughs> I would say um, for my own personal horse who yeah. is in probably moderate work, I would be very happy with 8% protein. Uh, I would be happy with... Um, you know, I'd want it to be about the 90% dry matter, so it's not going to be risk of mold or anything. Yeah. Um, I'd want to see that the calcium-phosphorus ratio is good. Um, and from there, you know what? I really want to actually look at the hay, too. Okay. Like, I, I, I want to know what's in it so that I can go and feed it and know what else I need. Yeah. But there isn't a magic number necessarily that I'm – that I'm actually looking for. Okay. Just once you do get it, then you need to get out your calculator and yep. figure out what they need. Yeah. <laughs> Based on what you're yep. doing. Cool. Yeah. So I think you're we're probably ready to wrap up here for a bit for our first part. Um yeah, because that that yeah. was a really in depth I yeah look into our nutritional value for our horses um and it was awesome that like I am not literate in like (laughs) the breakdown of a horse's body and what they need or even like in myself so Mm -hmm. it was very easy to follow along with you and so we really appreciate the time you took to get into such depth as well as make it very follow like able to follow along yeah. <laughs> I think understandable that's yes. what you're looking for. yeah yeah I think that's a really good foundation like just knowing about the haze and mm-hmm. how yeah the cool. protein and everything because I feel like Micro, a lot of us are macros. obsessed with the protein <laughs> yes that's like so. the big number that everyone is concerned about is yeah. the protein yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's very interesting yeah. that you said you would but be again that percentage does age. not the percentage doesn't matter at all yeah right. yeah. yeah yeah it's the amounts it's all about how much you feed and to get those grams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you willing um, to come back for a, a part two? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Yes, because we only scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing. I'm if, realizing I didn't even get into the, the pasture part either. Yeah, That's well, all right. we can do that next time if yeah. you're game for that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay. for sure. Did you want to do any of the quick fire ones? Yeah, let's do some sure. quick fire questions and then we'll get to the end of the of the timeline here. Let you yeah. go riding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So I just have to meet my horse before she goes out to her paddock otherwise. Okay, so when do you need trouble. to leave by? <laughs> How many minutes? Um, I'm still good. I'm okay. still good. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so starting off our rapid fire questions. Oils. We heard canola oil is one of the most cost effective oils on the market and is rationally balanced in omegas for our horses. Is this accurate? Uh, yes. 
certainly from a cost perspective. Okay. So um, with our uh, the omega-3 fatty acids versus our omega-6 fatty acids, um, we don't um, necessarily, there isn't like a known amount specifically yet. There are some um, early studies suggesting like how many grams of a, a specific um, fatty acid, but that's sort of a lot of research is actually looking what those ideal ratios are. Okay. Um, but what we don't want is there to be far too much omega-6 compared to omega-3. And so uh, canola oil for omega-3 to omega-6 ratio is about one to four. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really, that's a decent ratio. Meanwhile, corn oil is one to 46. So that's why oh, wow. corn oil kind of gets that, that big bad um, reputation because mm -hmm. it's so high in the omega-6s. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side of that, flaxseed oil, which, you know, can be a little bit more expensive, has actually got a four to one ratio. So it actually has more omega-3s than omega-6s. So even if you did feed some corn oil, then you could also feed some flax oil to help balance for some of that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the other thing, you know, with oils in particular is you know, why are you feeding oil? And so a lot of people will feed oil simply as a calorie source because their horse might be, you know, not able to eat a lot of hay or just doesn't eat a lot of hay. And maybe you don't want to feed more and more grain, um, but they still have calorie requirements that are just higher. And so uh, going and feeding, you know, one cup of, of vegetable oil has got 2.3 megacalories. So that can really add up um mm -hmm. in a you know pretty easy way to operate mm -hmm. um and so if you're looking for calories you know then corn oil is really cheap and effective um but if you're looking for these omega-3s for um any inflammatory uh anti-inflammatory properties and things like that then you really should be going even beyond canola and looking at flax if you're looking at straight calories you know, canola is probably the, I would prefer it over corn oil for price. But if you're trying to really get in more of those omega-3s, then you really need to be getting into that flax oil or even better still fish oil if your horse will eat it. Oh, okay. Cool. And just... Yes. And fish oil, if your horse will eat it, is the best thing your horse... I mean, you will be able to see an improvement in their coat quality faster than anything else. Your horse hmm. will stink. Your barn will stink. Um, <laughs> but, but they'll look can, pretty. <laughs> if, you had, if you had 10 horses and you had two of them on fish oil and you drove by them, even with that grooming, you'd be able to tell which ones were on fish oil. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Their hair coat is just amazing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've heard about too, hey? fish oil, but I've never been mm -hmm. known really. Um, and in regards yeah, stinky. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in regards to the flax, if you weren't feeding flax yep. oil, would just feeding straight flax or ground flax be um as effective? Um, so that depends. So if you're feeding whole flax seeds, you are getting the hull for the fiber, you're getting the oil. And then mm. you're also getting the seed part in itself, which is protein. Yeah. And it's a decent source of protein, decent 
you're not feeding, you know, the same amounts that you would be feeding in terms of a soybean meal, but like linseed meal is also a very common protein supplement. Um, and so if you're feeding the whole seed, then you're potentially getting all of that, but the amount of fat that you're getting out of it is going to be less yeah. as a percentage. Okay. Meanwhile, if you feed the oil, it's 100% oil. Yeah. If you feed flaxseed meal, most of that oil is already out of it. Okay. So now you're really looking at just the protein. Okay. Another kind of, this is an additional <laughs> rapid fire, but um, so do you, uh, or have you done any research on uh, like milled flax versus whole flax seeds? We've been hearing a little bit of hustle bustle about that in the barrel horse world lately. Whether one's better than the other? No. No. Okay. No. Cool. No, I don't know. I haven't seen anything specifically. So okay. no, I don't know. Okay. 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 I can look it up for next one. So sure. Tell me again, milled. Yeah, milled versus what, whole. Call it milled? Yeah, milled or ground flax oh. versus uh, whole flax seeds. Some people have have seemed to think that oh. if you feed the whole flax seed, it uh, you it doesn't break down. Like the horse doesn't break it down and digest it and get all the nutrients out. It kind of just runs oh, okay. through their system. Is uh, something we've heard. Right. Um. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know if anybody's done done research on it. Oh, From okay. my own experience, when when you feed whole, because I've, I've certainly fed whole, we would always, um, we always cooked it. Okay. We would okay. add water and we would microwave it and it would become this very gelatinous, oily type of mixture. And so we knew that we were getting inside that feed wall. Okay. Um, if you mill it and grind it, I would do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would essentially be the same effect. I probably wouldn't necessarily buy milled, only because then you're talking about so when it's um, when you buy it as either the oil or you buy it as a whole seed, that oil is protected um, because oil can go rancid. Yeah. So if you buy the oil, it's got preservatives in it, so it won't get rancid. If you buy the whole seed, it's not going to go rancid, provided you feed it within a certain time, because all of the oil is actually protected inside the seed. Mm-hmm. If you buy milled then it's already ground, and so there's going to be a ticking time clock of when you can use it. Right. So if you seem to think that milled does better for your horse, I would buy a pole and have a coffee grinder. Okay. And I know people who've done this and then just grind it themselves and then feed that. Yeah. Yep. Um, if you, you know, milled or hold, you're still getting all of the protein and everything like that too, and so a lower percentage of the oil. So it kind of yeah. depends on what you're feeding it for. Yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah. And then probably one way you could tell if your horse is digesting it is looking at their poop and seeing if there is like, um, if it is digested or not. I'm sure if it wasn't, you could probably see it in there. Um, not necessarily oh, okay. because you can also see, um, oat hauls in the poop. Okay. And so people think, oh, if I feed my horse straight oats, it's not doing anything because I see it in the poop. But if you actually were to inspect that poop and take that haul and open it up, you'll see that the horse actually got into it. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, that cool haul is that. just yeah. just the it's just the remnant. Yeah. And okay. so I don't know because I've never actually done this, but maybe I should do a little self experiment where if I were to see the whole flaxseed still in the poop, yeah. um, you know, I don't know, and it would be kind of hard to inspect because they're already so small. I know. Yeah. Yeah. If that horse did anything. Yeah. Um. But I think because they are so small, I do think it would be harder for a horse to, for their teeth to break them down. Mm-hmm. And so plain hole without any kind of cooking or anything like that to it, I think would be 
more likely to just pass through. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Just because they are small and a horse might not chew them effectively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what, you know, if the enzymes and stuff like that can break down the hull as easily mm -hmm. as if it's already mechanically broken down a bit. If they haven't chomped on it. Yeah. yeah. Red salt blocks versus the blue salt blocks. Um, do you have any preference on those? Um, red versus blue. No. Um, so the blue ones have cobalt. Mm -hmm. Those are primarily intended. Well, all salt blockers were initially intended for cattle to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but blue salt blocks with cobalt added to it, which, is the only function of cobalt in the body is to be used to synthesize um, cobalamin, which is one of the B vitamins. Okay. And so cattle need to have that um, in horses in order to produce um, the cobalamin from those um, the microbes. Okay. Um, red salt blocks have got, um, usually they're red because they've got iron and copper in them. Um, they've usually also got some zinc. Some might have some selenium in them. Um, you really have to kind of look at the actual ingredients on them yeah. Yeah. To, to feed them. And from the info um, earlier on, sure. we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would have to look up. I'm sure some blue salt blocks are actually red, but then they're blue because of the cobalt. Uh, the cobalt. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Um, so the next fire rapid question comes from Nikki on Instagram. Feeding with soy and corn, good or bad? Okay, so um, it depends. This is my favorite answer. Um, so <laughs> soy is an excellent source of protein. It's an excellent source of lysine. And it is in the feed that I feed my own horse. And I'm okay with that. There are some people who want to avoid soy because it can be genetically modified or because um, it might have the phytoestrogens. And, you know, I don't think there's enough evidence either way in terms of that impact on horses. But if you want to avoid soy, I think that's totally fine. And there are other types of uh, legumes or seed meals, cottonseed meal, linseed meal, peas that are high in protein that could be offered also. Corn, I do not like for horses. No? Um, no. It is very high in starch. Um, okay. And horses have an upper limit to how much starch they can consume before it overloads the horse's digestive tract and goes into their hindgut where it can cause some fermentation problems and risk of colic or laminitis, et cetera. Okay. I do not think corn, um, you know, even if you're feeding corn, it has to be ground or something like that. Whole corn is very hard to, for the horse to, you know, chew on and, and break down. Um, but I am a big fan of corn free in terms of whole corn. Um, there might be some byproducts, corn distiller's brain. That's what's left over after, um, uh, you know, breweries and distilleries and stuff like that. And so those are, can actually be a decent um, protein source. Um, but straight corn, I do not like in a horse's diet. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think there are better sources of starch for those horses that need starch. I think there are better sources of starch out there. 
Okay. Rodeo Road Leather asks, what are the equine benefits of selenium and vitamin E? So they are powerful antioxidants. So whenever there is a chemical reaction in the tissues, uh, very often we have what are called free radicals, which are um, pro-oxidants that can cause cellular damage. And selenium and vitamin E go and they scavenge, they kind of work with a, a system glutathione peroxidase that scavenges these free oxidants, uh, um, the radicals, and get rid of them. So they are antioxidants. Okay. And so if you have a horse that is exercising a lot, under a lot of work, they are producing more and more of these free radicals. And so those horses can potentially benefit with more vitamin E and selenium. Okay. Um, and Tori also asked from Instagram, do you have any horse, do you have any tips for horses that are tying up? How do you prevent or avoid it? Nutritionally, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tying up is a symptom where a horse has trouble exercising, um, potentially moving, muscle soreness. Um, and it can actually be caused by two different conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if it is a quarter horse or draft breed, it is most likely caused by a polysaccharide storage myopathy or some kind of glycogen storage disease. Meanwhile, if it is in a thoroughbred or a standard bred, it is most likely what we call recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis. And that uh, is a defect in um, calcium following muscle contraction. And so they're caused by different things, even though one major symptom, a common symptom is tying up. The glycogen storage diseases, if you have a quarter horse or a draft, um, there are muscle biopsies and tests that you can do genetically to find out what it is. Um, but ultimately, these horses need to be um, fed very low sugar types of diets so that they do not store this abnormal form of glycogen. Okay. Our horses with um, recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis, these are horses that um, are sort of highly excitable. We see it a lot in fillies. We see it a lot of younger horses. And these horses need to be kept calm, as calm as possible. And they can also benefit with lower starch and sugar diets. Um, but it's really also a lot of um, management and trying to um, decrease stress, maybe exercising the same time of day, similar types of exercise and, and that type of thing. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Well, I think that wraps up our fire rapid questions. Mm -hmm. And it is about, well, it's 1241 our time. <laughs> so it must okay. be a little bit later your time yeah if yeah. uh yeah if you want to yeah. continue the rest of the conversation next time we can definitely do that did i was just wondering yeah, did you did you have any quick tips you could leave with our listeners in regards to nutrition um yeah so uh just some basic uh tips in terms of assessing your horse 
Um, one of the best things that you can do is body condition scoring, which is looking at your horse's body, feeling your horse's body, and being able to tell how much fat is covering just underneath the skin and being able to tell, uh, you know, if it's fat versus muscle. Um, but that is a really good way to determine if your horse is meeting their calorie requirements or not, if they're, you know, literally gaining or losing fat. And mm -hmm. so if you have a horse that is on a diet where they are maintaining their calorie requirements mm -hmm. and they're being fed good quality hay and some grain, stuff like that, and they're maintaining their body weight, chances are you're also doing a pretty good job with most of the other nutrients. Okay. Uh, if you have a horse that is gaining a lot of weight, they're taking in too much energy, and they're probably also taking, along with the calories, because they're eating so much, they might be taking in more and more of these other things. Okay. So body condition scoring is a really, really useful tool for all horse owners to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the a great tip. The second big tip that I would say, okay, um, the second big tip that I would give would be... Um, Trying to avoid focusing on these percentages okay. and focusing on weight. Okay. And this even goes down to, you know, I ask somebody, okay, how many flakes are you eating or how many scoops? And, of course, there are 20 different types of scoops you can offer a horse. <laughs> yeah. And if somebody tells me that they're feeding a coffee can of, you know, brand X, product Y, that doesn't tell me anything because I have no idea how much that coffee can weighs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the only way to really evaluate your horse's diet is to weigh everything okay. that they're eating. Yep. So invest in um, a good scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would also, you know, another thing to maybe add for another talk or add it the next time is the whole body condition scoring. Okay. Because just in terms of, you know, like the whole laminitis stuff, I mean Mm -hmm. obesity is the biggest reason why we have laminitis yeah right so that yeah, would, would be something be... that to talk about too yeah yeah it'd be fun to dive more into that cool well we will let you get back to your day um where can people okay. find you online um do you do you put any of this stuff out there to the public on a certain page or instagram or website um no no um <laughs> i do write a lot for like for sports Okay. Even though they're online now, I, you know, I have tons of articles that are archived. Okay. On Horse Sport, Horse Canada. Okay. Um, if people want to reach me, um, they can reach me at, I'll give you my email that they can use. It's um, Philip Equine Nutrition okay. at gmail.com. Phillips Equine Nutrition at gmail.com. Would yeah. you, uh, so Phillips I is. I keep it separate. Okay. Yeah. All right, go ahead. And Phillips is P H I L L I P? Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, with S, Phillips. Phillips. P H I L L I P S. Perfect. Equine Nutrition. Well, thank you for all this awesome information. Mm -hmm. I think we'll have a lot of... You're um, welcome. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll have a lot to um, think about with our horses, and hopefully our listeners will appreciate it as well. I yeah. think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. And we can't wait to chat again. Oh, the part two. Yeah. Thank <laughs> okay. you so much. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Have a good one. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And we really hope you enjoyed that episode. Yes. And make sure that you subscribe to this podcast because the more subscriptions and the more times you tell a friend, the more we are able to bring you content of this caliber. Uh, So yeah, leave us a review, tell a friend and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Podcast. And as always, get rich or ride trying.